and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read together. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Well, good morning. We are glad you're here. Hey, can you do me a favor? Everybody in the room, can you give a round of applause and say hello to everybody watching online and tell them good morning. Hey, listen, we love you. We're so glad to be with you. Wherever you are today, we are Faith Church all together. And uh, we are rolling through our summer study as we are exploring the truths found in the book of First. Corinthians, and today we're going to kind of give an overview of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So get your Bibles out, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 7, get your note, uh, some take some notes with. If you've got your phone, go ahead and pull it out, go to faithchurchks.org, take some notes. There's a, a card right there, it says sermon notes, you can follow along with us. I don't know if, if you've noticed this, but we live in a world, in a, in a society um, that is really big on like defining certain categories of things. Uh, we are a culture where we are continually trying to articulate, sometimes uh, politically correctly, sometimes just as accurately as we can, kind of like what is our, our social status? What, what, is, what, is it, what is the box that you fit in and, and how do we define kind of Give me a, a summary of who you are, where you're from, and, and I don't know that all of those things are necessarily wrong. It helps us kind of get to know people, but uh, I think it's an interesting dynamic when the sole um, perspective that we have on a person is related to this social status. In fact, um, sociologists, psychologists, um, people who are way smarter than me have kind of defined this term social status. And they define it like this, that social status is the level of social value a person is considered to hold. More specifically, it refers to the relative level of respect, honor, assumed competence, and deference accorded to people, groups, and organizations in a society. And it's interesting because we can categorically write off people based on maybe their age, categorically write off people based on maybe their gender. We, we categorically write people off based on social or economic status. And, and we're always categorizing and putting things in there. And we do this in the church and we do it in the context of, of our relationships. We're continually sizing each other up and, and looking at what kind of relationship, what kind of friendship, what kind of person. Is this somebody I want to hang out with? Is this somebody I don't want to hang out with? Is, what's going on? And then you take it a step further into like dating relationships and it's like all the more pressure to, to like define the relationship. Those of you who are dating or you're, maybe you're married now and you think back to when you began to date and you had to have that really awkward really important, really nerve-wracking, and you're not sure how to respond. Most of the time, the, the ladies initiated, and they asked the guy, so uh, can we define the relationship here? And we're like, um, we're having fun. Uh, we like the relationship. They're like, no, 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 no. Like, are we exclusive? 
um, I thought so, right? Like, and we're like, the pressure is to, like, define the relationship. And, of course, no relationship is official until it is a, a quote-unquote, Facebook official. <laughs> I, I remember uh, friends and people were like, when they go back through and they hadn't, like, looked at their personal profile in a while, and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I probably should put on here that I'm married. And, like, they go put, like, married, but it's like, 12 years after they actually got married, people were like, congratulations, like, and then people start getting notified, and you're like, oh, no, I didn't mean that, and I'm like, you, you hit the wrong button, and then it says you're divorced, and you're like, no, 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 it's, you start getting messages, oh, my God, what happened, you're like, I, I don't know, like, that whole status update and change, it can be a little bit challenging, and one thing is for certain is that no matter like what your relationship status is, whether you're married, unmarried, you're uh, single again, you're a widow, where, wherever you find yourself in the mix, I think there are certain myths that we believe about whatever status we currently hold. There's certain myths that we've just kind of bought into. I want to expose some of those today. Uh, like there's, a, there's some myths about being single. Uh, some of the myths are, it must not be God's plan. Like, being single can't be God's plan. That's a myth. Or that uh, y if you're single, then you are incomplete in life. I think that's a myth. Uh, myths like, singleness is a waste of your sexuality. If you're single, then you are at a disadvantage in life. These are things that we buy into and we believe. Things, things like, well, if you are single, then you can't experience family never know what that really feels like as a single person. We, we believe myths like it's just too hard and that uh, you're not even accountable for your life. So if you're single, just live however you want and it doesn't impact anybody because it's just, it's just you. I think these are myths that our culture tries to get us to buy into and, and I don't believe them to be accurate or the correct perspective biblically. But let, let me give you some uh, as it relates to marriage. There are some myths that we buy into. Specifically, we believe that when we get married, it is automatically our soulmate. And we believe some myths about soulmates, right? And so some of us never get married or we're, we're always unhappy in our marriage because we're like, oh, dang it, it wasn't my soulmate. I missed it. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I, I think we have a, a myth as it relates to soulmates that says that my soulmate will be just like me. And all the married people are beginning to laugh. <laughs> There's a myth about marriage that says marrying my soulmate means that we will have a problem-free marriage. <laughs> I call bull. <laughs> we think that marrying our soulmate means that we, they will always make me happy. <laughs> nah. Uh, that marrying our soulmate will replace all of my other friendships, and all I need is my soulmate. Oh. <laughs> Not quite. Or that my soulmate will always be able to read my mind. Friends, I believe that you can become soulmates. I don't think you are born a soulmate. I think a soulmate is something that you cultivate not something that you automatically go through a process and eventually you swipe and you find the right soulmate. 
I believe having a marriage that works requires two people who work on the marriage. I think there are some myths about those who find themselves single again. You were once married, but now you're not. Whether by virtue of a deceased or a divorce. I think there's some myths that have crept into our world and our thinking and our understanding. And there are things like, uh, if you're single again, then you are beyond redemption. I believe that's a lie from the pit of hell. We think that if we're single again, then you must be the problem. And there's something broken and deeply wrong with you. We, there are myths about being single again that maybe God is just mad at you. And when he starts to be happy with you again, you'll find fulfillment again. I think it's a myth. I think there's a, a myth that says you, you can't be used by God in this stage of life. I think it's a myth. Or, or there's one that says you can't ever remarry. I believe that's a myth. I don't believe that to be true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul addresses so many different relationship statuses. He addresses the married. He addresses the married who are married to somebody who isn't a follower of Jesus, but they're a follower of Jesus. He addresses those who want to be divorced. He uh, addresses uh, those who, who got divorced. He addresses those who find themselves single. He addresses those who find themselves engaged. He addresses all of these different statuses in, 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 in a moment trying to help us understand. Now, now the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, the, the Lord, uh, or, or Paul is writing, and he's giving them some important doctrines, some truths that they need to understand. And, and really, he's correcting some of their behavior and belief that was whack. And now in chapter 7, he begins a, a segment of things where he's now beginning to answer questions that they asked him he's beginning to answer these questions and there were some questions that they had for him and paul is beginning to give these pastoral advice and responses to to some very specific questions that were being asked of the people in corinth and these questions relate to much of what we experience today in our world, today in our view, today in uh, society overall. And, and, and I want to uh, grab some, some key verses today to kind of give you a running big picture theme rather than getting all caught up in the weeds of each one thing. I, I, and, and I will. I'm going to speak to each kind of stage of life, each status, no matter where you find yourself on the relational spectrum. I'm going to give us some, some truths, some practical things today that I think are going to help you do relationships well, whatever that looks like in your current season or status of life. But I do believe that it's important that we understand the big picture of what he's trying to help us understand collectively which helps inform how we live individually. And so I want to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, and then I'm going to read verse 20, 23, 24, and then verse 35 to kind of help frame the big idea of what I think Paul is wanting to communicate to the church today. Be quiet, Siri. Uh, starting at verse, verse 17. It says, Nevertheless, each person, somebody say each person. each person. Each person should live as a believer. 
in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them. Verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were whenever God called them. You were bought at a price. Which, pause, no matter your status relationally, you were worth the life of Jesus. You're worth it. You matter. You valued it. You're valuable to God. Whatever season of life you're in, it matters to God. God sees you. You were bought at a price. Don't become a slave to another human being. Verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation, the season, the relationship status they were in when God called them. In other words, redeemed you. Got, you, you experienced salvation. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Living with undivided devotion to the Lord. Here's the first uh, thought I have for us today. First thing I want you to, to understand, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. And if you're not taking notes, steal a pen from your neighbor and write this down. And that's simply this, number one. Don't filter your life through categories of status. Filter it through contentment and assignment. Don't define your life by what is my status. Am I on the market? Am I off the market? Am I a hot commodity or not so hot commodity? Like, don't, don't define on what the world is trying to tell you. How many likes or dislikes? How many DMs you've been getting on the social networks? Don't, don't define your status whether or not you feel like you have the greatest marriage or you wish you could escape your marriage. Don't filter it through the categories of status. Instead, filter it through the perspective of contentment and assignment. Contentment. An assignment. Somebody put it in the chat. Contentment and assignment. He starts in verse 17 and he says, each person, friends, each of you, no matter your relationship status, we have to settle for ourselves the truth of who Jesus is. Settle it in your heart. Figure it out. Is he going to be Lord of my life when I'm single and when I'm married? When people are watching and when people aren't watching? When I have a great marriage or I'm dealing with the heartache of a loss of a marriage? Where am I in my status? It, don't, don't filter it through your status first. Filter it through this idea that each person has to settle the question, who is Jesus to me? And am I following him with all of my heart? This is the question. We have to settle the truth of Jesus. You have to settle it because until you settle that question, all of life will feel unsettled. You have to settle the question. He goes on to say in verse 17, each person 
should live as a believer. As a believer. Live as a believer. So, so when you're at work and you are the boss, live as a believer. When you are at work and you're working for someone else who you think is a terrible boss, live as a believer. When you are living in a marriage that is wonderful or in a marriage that is bewildering, live as a believer. Whatever status you find with it, live as a believer. He's not saying live with perfect doctrine. He's saying live out the practice of your faith of who you believe Jesus is. So settle who Jesus is. And practice your faith in your Christian ethic. This whole year as a church, our one theme is discovering what does it look like to practice our faith as a disciple of Jesus. Live as a believer. Don't sit on Sundays contemplating what you believe. Don't argue all day long about what others should believe or shouldn't believe. Don't get dogmatic about your doctrine. Just shut your mouth and live a life that does all the talking. Live as a believer. Live as somebody who's been transformed by the grace and the mercy of God. Practice your faith daily, wherever you are, wherever you've been experiencing. Live as a believer. This is how God has assigned each of you. Listen, God, whatever, excuse me, what, whatever season of life you are in, view it as an assignment from your king. I, I want a different assignment. Well, steward this one better. Steward it better. No, 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 but, but you don't understand, like, the guy I'm married to. Okay, no, 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 steward it better. Steward it better. It's an assignment. It, it's an assignment. It may not be your plan. It may not be your parents' plan. But it is his plan. So do all that you do for the glory of God, who's called you. It's your assignment. He has you in this situation, in this season, at this status, for a reason, so find out what it is and honor him with it. I tell uh, um, young parents this all the time. Uh, I remember when we were going from having two kids to having three kids. In other words, we were moving from a man-to-man -man defense to a zone defense. <laughs> and I was freaking out. Full-time at a church running wide open, working way more than 40 hours in a week, having more responsibilities than I knew what to do with. Not just like one job, I had like four people's jobs. And now we were adding a third child to the mix. We didn't have a car big enough for three children, three car seats. Like the whole thing was messing with my mind. And the Lord took me to a passage in scripture in, in Matthew where he talks about the the stewards who were rewarded based on their talents and how they stewarded what God gave them as a talent. And I remember sitting there thinking as I was reading that passage where, where it says, and God, or the master, it was a parable, he said the master assigned to each of them 
something to, to oversee and steward according to their ability. In other words, not everybody has the same ability. There are some people who have the ability to handle more than two kids. Some have the ability to handle more than three kids. God bless you. My wife and I both grew up in families with six kids. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed. Both our parents are halfway sane. Like, I really am amazed that they actually want to still be around grandkids and be like, no, no, I've had my fill of kids. I'm good. Thank you. Each according to their ability. Listen, 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 don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Everything in your life that you are responsible for is in your life given to you by God as an assignment because he knows he can trust you to respond with your ability in that season and it will be met as a response to his ability that he's already put inside of you. It's an assignment. May not be forever, but it's an assignment. But, but I want a different one. I know. I wish my assignment was different. I know. But it's still your assignment. In some way, shape, or form, God wants to work through you and in you and on you so that he gets the glory in your assignment. Do you view your relationship status as being stuck or as an assignment that you steward for your king. I'll say it again. Do, do you view your status as just being stuck? Or as an assignment that you are to steward for your king? I, you might find yourself in a season where you are a, a student in your parents' house. You're still in high school. Your homework, your chores, your response to the authorities in your life. That is yours to steward in a way that honors God. It's your assignment for the season. You're not stuck with the family. It's It's your assignment. You might be single and in college and trying to hashtag live your best life. You're not stuck there. It's an assignment. Everything that you do in this season, God is holding you accountable for. Are you honoring your king with how you steward it? Or are you living selfishly? It's yours. You might find yourself in a season where the love of your life is no longer walking on this earth. You're a widow. You're not stuck in this life. There's breath in your lungs. There's still more for you to do for the kingdom of God. Are you stuck or are you stewarding this current status in a God-honoring way? It's your assignment. Recognize that you were called. And in your assignment, don't miss this, in whatever assignment you are in right now, there is grace that awaits you in that moment. Watch, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. I wish that all of you were as I am. Paul's talking about his singleness, his choice to live a celibate life. He says, I wish you all were more like me, right? Like, I ain't got to answer to nobody, right? Like, I ain't got to check in. It's 1059. I ain't getting a text from baby boo asking me where I is. Like, I'm free. I wish you all were like me. (laughs) 
I don't know where it's coming from, y'all. Like, uh, he goes, I wish you all were as I am. I am. Don't miss this. But each of you has your own gift from God. He's trying to say your assignment is actually where your gift is. Uh, your assignment reveals your gift. Pastor, I thought you said grace was going to show up. Oh, don't you understand your gift is his grace? In the Greek, the word gift and the word grace are the same root. Charis. Grace. The word gift is uh, the Greek word charisma, where we get charismatic. So when we talk about the spiritual gifts later on, it's the charisma of God at work through you. It's a gift. The word grace is the word charis, the root of the word charisma. You can't have a gift without the grace in the middle. Gift and grace are often interchangeably used all through Scripture. It's, it's the same idea, the same thought. So whatever situation you are in, don't you understand, each of you have your own gift, your own assignment, your own grace, because it's sufficient for you. It is your gift. Don't filter your life through status. Filter it through this idea of contentment. Wherever I'm at, I'm content to bring God glory. And I am assigned to this space to steward it in a way that honors him. It's us contentment and assignment. Here's the second thought I want you to see today that Paul, I think, is getting at in these verses. It's simply this, that no matter your relationship status, serve others, don't be selfish. If, Paul was, if I was rewording some of the things of Paul, it would be simply this, no matter your relationship status, married, unmarried, single again, single still, no matter your relationship status, serve others. Don't be selfish. To the single, he says in verse 32 through verse 35, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interest is that they're divided. An unmarried woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in body and spirit. But a married woman has to be uh, divided in her concern because of the affairs of the world. How can she please her husband? He goes in verse 35, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. In other words, if you are single, don't use your singleness as an excuse to be selfish in your life. Find a way to serve others. Honor God with your availability by simply serving his purpose for the season. Discover what it is and serve someone else. Uh, author Sam Alberry says it like this. Singleness, like marriage, is a good thing. It needs to be received appropriately and held in biblical perspective, as does marriage. Your singleness is not a curse. It may be a temporary assignment or it may be a permanent assignment. That's up to the, you and the Lord. At the end of the day, it's about how are you stewarding it to honor him. Wherever, whatever your status, serve others, don't live 
selfishly. It may be a temporary assignment, but it's still your assignment today. So serve and be content. Serve and be content. And can I just, can I just say to all you married folk and older folk, you can put yourself in whatever category you want on that one. Can we just stop with the like, so when are you getting married? As if that's the completion and the fulfillment of a young person or a single person's life. How about we just celebrate who they are and recognize the things that God has given to them and celebrate that season of life and not put pressure on people to fit into and to check a relationship box. Paul argues here very clearly if you read the entire chapter like, there's some people who are called to be single, and it's a good thing. They're not less than anything in the body of Christ. They have great purpose. He argues it's actually better. So can we just back off? Yeah, but I want grandbabies. Well, adopt. All the single people would say amen, but they're not sure they want to say single or identify themselves just yet. I get it. It's all right. I'm on your side. Listen, no matter your relationship status, serve others. Don't be selfish. So to the married, he, to the married, he says in starting in verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. Now for the matters that you wrote about, is it good for a man to have sex with a woman? Verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own Wife, singular, and each woman with her own husband, singular. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her. This is the verse my wife and I, we just going to put it on our fridge and like meditate on this one for a little bit. Marital duties. Verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, praise you Jesus, yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body but yields it up to his wife baby i'm just it's yours you can take take me lord just i'm yours i'm here to help you your body is wonderland (laughs) y'all didn't know you could laugh and have this much fun in church all i'm saying is if you're having trouble thinking the bible is interesting you're not reading the right parts Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you can devote yourself to prayer and fasting. (laughs) Then come together again, don't, don't miss this, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your own lack of self control. I say this as a concession, not a command. Say, this is a concession, not a command. Listen, if your, 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 your relationship status is married, serve each other. Don't be selfish. Sexually, emotionally, and with your energy. Don't give your spouse the leftovers. Yeah, but my kids, my kids, they're second. They're second. It was the two of you before they showed up, and it should be the two of you after they leave and don't return. (laughs) Well before they're 30. 
This is the, this is the thing. Serve, serve, serve. Listen, three, three greatest needs that every man has. Honor, sex, and friendship. And God has given him a completer and a partner to help fulfill those three things. Every woman, three great needs that every woman has. Honest and open emotional connection, sense of security, and non-sexual affection. God has given every woman who is married a man who is there to partner and to complete and to help fulfill those three things. If you want what you need, you've got to give what they need. The answer to a fulfilling marriage is serving each other more, not being selfish. If you wake up every day making a decision, how can I serve my spouse today? Rather than how can I tell my spouse correctly how to serve me today? You'll find yourself working towards a healthy marriage. You want to know what else is going to help you in your marriage? Registering for our XO Marriage Conference coming up on August 28th. $35 a couple. Is there child care? Yes, that which you provide, men. Call the babysitter, men. Plan the day, men. Am I dropping enough hints, men? If you want your marriage to work, you have to work on your marriage. Maybe you find yourself single again, divorced, or widowed. Serve others. Don't be selfish. Same thing. Honor God by serving him. And as you serve him, you will find the wholeness that you need. The wholeness that you need. It will draw you closer into relationship. Listen, when you surrender whatever it was, whatever situation, whatever pain, whatever reality, whatever decisions, whatever part of your past, when you surrender it, that's where God meets you. That's where God meets you. I'm looking at the clock and and wishing I had more time to to walk this out a little more fully. Can I just say, there are people who say God hates divorce. I, I, I want to I be really, really clear on something. God doesn't hate divorce ease. Divorce is damaging. It's true. And the reason God hates it is because of the damage that it causes on people's hearts. It's not that it's an unpardonable sin. I don't believe that. In fact, the language Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 7 as it talks about where it uses the word divorce, perhaps a better translation would be abandoned. If somebody's abandoned you, you need to reconcile or you actually need to walk through the right process. Because if you go getting married or you start acting and doing married things with somebody, 
even though you were the one who was abandoned, legally, you're still married. And that's why it's like adultery. When Jesus talks about giving a certificate of divorce and you have to understand the Mosaic law and I wish I had time to walk into it, but there were causes for legal divorce. There were permissions within the Mosaic law for legal divorce. And it was simply, number one, to protect the rights of women because God values women. It was protecting women because some guy didn't. And I see it now on both sides. I sit with people who have been hurt or abandoned or rejected because a woman walked away and a guy's left sitting there holding on to all of the responsibilities in the home. I've seen it both ways. Divorce isn't the end. It does damage. It does hurt God's heart. It does hurt your heart. And it does hurt the people around you. But friends, the reason why legal divorce was there was so that it could be written out of the story and the history and give you legal standing to marry again. It's actually why it was there. And what Paul's really addressing isn't the legal divorce that there was mutual cause and reasons. It was those who were just like, I'm out. I'm going to go do my own thing. And most of the case, they're just walking out to go live some wild fantasy that's not really going to satisfy their life. That's kind of what Paul's addressing here. It's much more nuanced and bigger conversation. I, I just want you to know that, like, if you find yourself in a place where you experience divorce, recognize that if you need to, repent. If you can reconcile, great. And if the relationship isn't reconcilable, then go to your heavenly Father and your Savior who is your Redeemer. And let Him redeem it all. He'll redeem the past. He'll redeem the pain. And He'll produce a wholeness in you that only He can do. We have to filter it through the cross. We have to filter this idea, this, this understanding through, through the, um, the reality of new creation. It's not the end. It's not the end. Is divorce a big deal? Yes, it really is. We have not entered into to covenants just to fulfill some other social status or other need. We, we ought to be really aware of those things. We don't rush into those things. That matters. It's a big deal. Marriage was one of the pictures God intended to represent his covenant, committed, undying, unending, sacrificial love for the world around us. That's why it matters. It's to be the picture of his love for humanity, a living example and representation of his unending, faithful love. Yes, that's part of it. Whatever situation you find yourself, whatever status you are in today relationally, don't live selfishly. Serve others. That's what Paul's trying to get us to see. Can I give you something really practical this week? Should you get ready to come to the table and close our time? Just really practically this week. Whatever status, whatever relationship, whatever reality you're in, Make a decision to serve every day and speak out your gratitude. Why? Because serving helps us 
reminds us that this stage of life is an assignment that we're stewarding for God. We're here to serve the Lord and we're serving the Lord by serving the people he's given us as an assignment. So serve. And two, speak your gratitude this week. Gratitude is the language of the content. Gratitude is the language of the content. If you think something kind towards someone in your household, say it out loud. If they do something and in your heart you're thankful, say it out loud. Speak your gratitude this week. To, to anybody, just practice everybody. Speak your gratitude this week. Why? Because when you choose to be grateful with your words, contentment grows in your heart. And we don't want to filter our lives through our status and our categories. We want to filter our lives through an understanding of contentment and our assignment. Contentment and assignment. So serve and speak your gratitude this week. Friends, here's the deal. No matter our relationship status, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are family. And we are all invited to the same table to partake the goodness of our God. Would you stand as we prepare our hearts for communion? See, it's at the table that we are invited. It's at the table that we are redeemed. It's at the table that we are reconciled together as independent and now members together with God. If you're in the room, go ahead and open up the top layer and get the wafer out. And go ahead and, after you get the wafer out, go ahead and open the bottom layer and open up the juice, but just hold on to it. If you're at home, hopefully you've got something to partake here at Faith Church, we serve what's considered an open communion, which simply means this, that if you are a follower of Jesus, regardless of whether you are a member here or not, we invite you to come to the table together because this is our testimony. This is our statement of our faith, not in a denomination or an organization, but in a man, and his name is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 7.35, go ahead and close your eyes as I read these words. I'm saying all of this today for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So in whatever season you're in, here at the table, we recommit in our hearts an undivided fidelity and devotion and faith to a king, to a Lord, to Jesus, to serve in our assignment and to be content in this season. It's his grace that we need in this moment, isn't it? Lord, thank you for giving us the bread, which is your body, which was broken so that we could be made whole. Let's take of the bread in faith today. Lord, we thank you for the cup. The cup which represents a blessing, a covenant, a commitment, a, a forgiveness. And Lord, there is no relationship that's perfect, which means every relationship needs forgiveness at times. And Lord, you modeled what that looked like by dying and giving of your life first for us. 
We're thankful for this juice which represents your blood, which cleanses us from our own sins. We take it in faith today. Let's receive with a cup. Father, I pray today, Lord, that the words that came from my mouth, Lord, that they were life-giving and inspiring and true to your word. Lord, if there was anything that came out, Lord, that wasn't of you or wasn't helpful, Lord, would you just kind of control, alt, delete that? And would you allow your words to ring true in our hearts because it's your word that changes us? Lord, help us this week to recognize we have an assignment that we're supposed to steward and serve in and that we have a decision to be content in gratitude which helps us build out an undivided devotion to you, Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you would bless and keep my friends and family this week. Would you make your face shine on them and be gracious to them? Would you lift your countenance, your joyful countenance towards us and bring us your peace? And Lord, may we be reminded every day that we are radically loved by you no matter what our relationship status says. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. And all the people of God said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.